Man, good times, good times. Well, hey, I'm excited. Um, this is a great season for us. We are in the season of talking about foster care and talking uh, just about um, just the things that God is doing in our community. As Natalie said, foster care is the primary outreach, local outreach at Vintage, and we absolutely believe in, invest in, and believe in the lives of children at risk. And we're always thankful for foster parents, those who step up. And one of those things that I love about it is this nature of humility, right? This idea, it really, um, oh, hold on a second. I got a gum. Let me go real quick. Sorry. Here we go. Sorry, uh, paper. So in that, um, you know, it's one of those things that I've been thinking about this all week, just the nature of our desire at Vintage to see God move, right? It's like you, we go to church, and, and church is a unique thing in that, um, you know, we, we go to church, we do life with people, we sing a bunch of songs, we listen to jillions of messages over the years and forget most of them along the way, right? And, um, you know, we come and we tithe, we give offerings, we put our kids in children's ministry, and churches are like this idea of this a building is a great thing. But we also recognize that church is really just not about a building. It's about a, a people who love Jesus and love one another and then who are who are being obedient to God, right? To love him, love people, and then to give their lives away. And the idea for us in that is that we really believe in God for and desire just a movement of God's spirit, like a unique movement, right? Of Like doing life together, it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but also a movement of God's spirit, whether you call it revival, this wave we've been praying about, that we want God to break into the world, right? To break into our lives and do something unique and do something that we would say is powerful, right? The idea of something that we can't make happen in our own strength but requires the movement of God, right? And so in that, I'll just say this, and I'm going to talk about this in the upcoming weeks, but when we talk about this movement of God, we're like praying for, but I want to say something very clearly to you about this movement. The movement of God and the release of God's power begins at this single point every time throughout history and in the New Testament. It begins when believers, people, humble themselves before God. Like living in a place of humility, what I would call a place of saying, God, not my will, but your will. A place where it leads us to radical obedience, to do things that are uncomfortable, of dying to self. A humility that then leads to holiness, which then leads to the movement of God's power. That's the equation for the movement of God. It's a people who humble themselves and pray and seek his face, right? Who 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 then in that place get to a place of separating themselves, saying, God, we belong to you. Your will be done in our lives. And then these steps of radical obedience and watching God's power move. There's a book called Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God by Francis Fran Japan. Now, you can all read it, right? It's a powerful story and movement of God in this way. And the reason I'm bringing it up this morning is because when I think about this call that we have to foster care, in my opinion, one of the greatest things that happens at Vin and an expression of dying to self and engaging radical obedience in a place of humility is when, is when people who are living their lives say we were willing to change everything with the life that we're living and open up our doors to those that are in need. And I believe in that moment, I think it pleases the heart of God. It doesn't make him love you more. I think it just pleases him, right? 
It's like when my girls do something for me, I don't love them more because they did it, but man, it sure makes me happy, right? And I think that's what happens in these moments. And I think it's not just in that moment of foster care and adoption. I think it's everything that we give ourselves to of radical obedience, stepping outside of self, dying to self, giving our lives away to our neighbors, the people at Publix, the people at Starbucks, and, you know, maybe letting somebody in very kindly as they're like literally like ranting and raving at you. Like, no, go ahead and come in front of me in line in traffic, whatever it may be. We're humbling ourselves. There's this movement that I believe God is doing, but I believe it begins as we begin this action of humbling ourselves and saying, God, your will be done. And in that, I love again, just this picture in our season that I really believe foster care and adoption is a primary picture of that in our community. Last week, we had, um, we had our foster care panel, and Judge Altman, Carolyn Altman was here. She's the juvenile judge in, in Paulding County, great lover of Jesus. She was actually, she and her husband, Marty Altman, were actually at Wesley when we were there. Those of you who went to Wesley in my day and age, right? And, man, they just love Jesus, and she, she sees it as a calling. She talked about it last week as a real calling in her faith to, to open up the door to, 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 to work with at-risk children and at-risk parents, right, in the foster care system. Jason Ehrman was here. He's the director of, of uh, DFACS in Paulding County. Again, he loves Jesus, and he and Randall are partners, literally. You ask Jason, who his primary partner is in Paulding County, he'd tell you, Randall, they're working together in Paulding County in this area of foster care. It's beautiful, it's powerful in our own Michael Stover. There he is right there, my man, right there, right, Michael Stover. He was sitting right here last week, man, just as a foster dad, getting up here. Shannon was so proud of him, right? So, so great, right? All the other foster parents were like, I'm sure glad that's not me up there, right? And so it's a beautiful moment of just hearing the story of Michael sharing, right? practically and from the heart. And we saw this beautiful picture, right, of this system that we're in in foster care. And one of the things we took, took away from last week is that the system is not an easy one. Like the process, right, the process of, of foster care and bringing a child into the system is difficult. Because it begins with this process, right, of bringing a child into a home, which is scary, Right. And the goal then becomes reunification of that child ultimately going to go back home to their parents. And, and with that, the incredible difficulty of the process that we, everyone experiences from bio parents to, to foster children to foster parents to those in the system, whether you're a juvenile judge or you are a, a caseworker with defects or whether you are one of the lawyers who's working in the process. Right? I was talking to a family lawyer, a great friend of mine who was just, uh, this, just last week became an associate judge in Woodstock, Georgia, and he was, so he does family law. This is what he does for a living. He works with those who are going through divorce. He works with custody battles. He works in the area of the juvenile system. And he said, man, he's like, he said, it is the hardest thing, the most gut-wrenching thing I, I do in my life. I can't wait to go be an associate judge because I just get to go sit on Monday morning and look at DUI cases because all these things are just so cut and dry versus working with families. And I'm actually cutting. I said, well, what are you doing to simplify your your life. He goes, well, I'm, I've cut down my caseload. I'm like, how many caseloads do you have still being a lawyer? He goes, I'm dealing with 20 families, 20 cases in family law. And he goes, it's overwhelming. The point that I took away from last week, I want you to take away, is that process is a difficult one. Because in reunification, it's a long process. Judge Altman did a great job. It can be one year 
two years, three years, four years of children being in a foster home and foster parents becoming attached. And Michael shared his stories. It's overwhelming when we think it's going in one direction. Then all of a sudden, whoo, overnight, they just change the story, right? Like, oh, my God, change the narrative. And it's overwhelming. That whole process is difficult. For our experience, we were really fortunate to kind of long-term cases that we had. They did end in reunification, and we have and still have, we had and still have great relationship with the children and great relationship with the parents. And literally, Randall is on Snapchat and Instagram every week talking to the kids, connecting with them. We do birthdays with them. We do holidays with them, right? The parents still call us when they're having bad days, and we're encouraging and praying. Like, it's a unique story, and we feel very fortunate. That's not the case for everyone, though, right? It's not the case for everyone. Some of the cases are more difficult, and we have these cases where, um, you know, the parents, they work hard in the process, but they just, man, it just doesn't work out, right? For all the, just the various reasons, it doesn't work out for them, or they recognize sometimes, hey, it's just best for my child to stay in your home because what you offer for them creates greater safety for them. And so in these moments, right, in these moments, some of them have something called a TPR, TPR, it's really important language. If you're ever around like anybody in this world, they're going to be talking about TPR, and that kid got TPR. All it means is this, a termination of parental rights, right? A termination of parental rights. It means what you think. They're terminating the rights of the parents to other kids, and so they'll come before the judge, and Judge Altman talked about that. Sometimes we have these moments where, where they literally, they terminate parental rights. We have one story where the mom made that decision for herself, right? The beautiful example of, again, and her choosing humility and putting her child in the best situation to thrive, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful story in that. But in this, right, we have these moments, and so in that moment, then the next step becomes these children stepping into a place of adoption, right? And so it's really cool at Vintage. That's an overwhelming moment, but it's a beautiful moment because there's nothing that exhibits the heart of God, in my opinion, more than this moment of adoption, right? We've all been adopted as sons and daughters of the king and brought in and given everything that belongs to him. You are where you are the Jesus because of his heart for adoption, right? And so we've been adopted. And so adoption is this heartbeat of God. And so in our body right now, we have three people, two families who have had TPR happen, a third person who the, the mother is releasing rights and we're having three adoptions happening in the life of vintage it's a beautiful piece tim and nikki haxton i see nikki i don't know where he is slat there he goes right there right sitting here right it's beautiful piece beautiful piece we have laura and shane penley who are skipping church today no and then we have the mannings right here brandon allison if you can just raise your hands real quick so it's really exciting for them this thursday correct it's this thursday let's go before the judge and literally they're going to be adopting these children who've been living in their home with them for several years. And so next week is going to be a celebration. You put their picture on the screen, right? And we're going to go, oh my gosh, this is so great, right? It's a beautiful moment of the heartbeat of God of bringing these children home, right? It's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture of the heart of God. And I want to say, I believe it's a picture that we celebrate, the picture that we celebrate, it's a movement that we celebrate, a believing that God's heart is being expressed in a unique, powerful, and an amazing way. In this moment, in this moment, foster care is part of foster care in the hearts of our families, right? It's a beautiful piece of revealing the heartbeat of Jesus he's placed in us to be a people 
They'll look at vintage and say, we are a people. We are a family. We've been talking about this collective mentality, right? Where Tammy and I and uh, Anna Catherine were talking the other night about the difference between cultures where you have individualistic cultures that talk about me and mine versus collective cultures in foreign countries. India being one, they talk about our and our family and our call as the family, right? And this beautiful piece of now recognizing we are a collective peace and foster care. It is our adoption. It's our adoption. It's our children who are being brought into homes. This child may be TPR, the mom may be releasing rights, and now we have a responsibility. We just, had, we just had Bear up here reminding us this morning that we have a responsibility, our collective call to be the body of Christ to everyone around us, right, and to help raise up and disciple children. It's a beautiful piece, heartbeat of adoption. This morning I want to look at what I believe is a unique heart of Jesus in this a unique expression of the heart of Jesus, while we specifically look at the God's call for children, but even much more so than just God's call and heart for children, it's a call of God's heart for anyone who may be outside of the people of God, outside of the kingdom, and maybe the marginalized, and maybe even those that we're uncomfortable with and don't like. That God says there are no boundaries for those who I want to open the door to to come into my kingdom. Have your Bibles, you can read or follow along on the screen in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 15. It says, people, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Meanies, right? But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The first thing I want you to recognize is kind of what's happening in the story, right? Kind of what's happening in the story. In this overarching message of Jesus that's in this story actually being communicated that the whole chapter is this, and everyone hear this, the kingdom is available to everyone. That's the overarching message of the entire chapter. Children are just one part of that. The kingdom is available to everyone. In the culture in which Jesus lived, there were many who were devalued because of their lifestyle, their social status, or their gender. These groups of people were looked down upon. They would have been deemed unworthy. And in chapter 18 of Luke, Jesus challenges these ideas by naming social outcasts. In chapter 18, he names tax collectors, he names widows, and Children as those who may be devalued in their culture, but have great kingdom value in his eyes. In his kingdom, all people from any class or position or family heritage or culture, they have value. He's shifting the understanding of their social strata, and he's creating an environment of recognizing if you are part of the kingdom of God, then every wall is down, right? And you see every single person around you as someone loved by Jesus, therefore someone that you love, therefore you have no enemies. You only see people of value. There is no such thing as us and them. There's no such thing as, well, they, right? 
It's no, we as a people, because God values all, does not devalue anyone. And this story here, right, he comes and specifically is talking about children. Children. Verse 15 and 17, man, they are revolutionary in the eyes of Scripture and culture uh, around children, but honestly, anybody else. In the understanding of the story, it's important to know that, that babies, that children in Jesus' time, they had, a, they had a high, high mortality rate, right? Just think about all the medical advances that have occurred since the days of Jesus, right? There have been quite a few, right? When I was eight months old, I had something called pyloric stenosis. I lost like seven or eight pounds or whatever much I weighed. I lost half of my body weight in like one week because I could not hold any food down. My mom took me to the hospital, the doctor, he's like, you got pyloric stenosis, which means that my esophagus was crimped up and no food could make its way down. He's like, I'm sure we'll be fine. Send us home, right? Mom intuition said, that's just not the case. Let's get a second opinion over here. And the doctor's like, who is that idiot? You got things to the hospital right now. He could die. So I went and had surgery. I got a long scar about this long on my belly right now. Why? Because of medical advancements, praise God, I get to be here today. So with that, that wasn't the case in Jesus's time. And so you have all these parents who understand mortality rate. I don't know how high it was. I'm not going to make up a number because I wouldn't be fair, but it was high. And so in that, they see Jesus. You know Jesus. You know who he is, what he's done. He's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He's the holy man. And so they pick up their kids and try to bring them to Jesus. I'll never forget the first time I visited Tammy in India in 1999. I went down to Madurai to visit some of her friends. They weren't ready for us. So they gave us two guys to be guides around the city. And they took us all these different places. And we were doing ministry, right? It was funny. And so anyway, we walk into this hospital one day. And they're kind of starting the good part and go to the less nice part. And then we come into a room. But a 20 by 20 room, and there's this bed after bed after bed after bed, literally lining all the way around the square of the room. And, and we walk in, people kind of look at us, and it's awkward, right? The two white guys walking in, right? Who are these guys, right? And so we walk into the room, and they're like, Tarp, and they just said, pray. And we're like, ah, right? So we kind of went from bed to bed, praying around. So also we get, come around the room, we get to the corner over here, right? Which is completely with our back to everybody else. And they forget, my buddy Kyle goes, Steve. And I turn around, and every parent had picked up their child who was laying in bed and was holding them like this and speaking in a foreign language I couldn't understand, but I knew they wanted us to bless them, to pray for them, to help them do, to do whatever, right? It was overwhelming, but that's what's happening for Jesus. High mortality rate. They want their children to be okay. So that's what you have in this moment. And so that's why it just seems cruel, doesn't it, in verse 16, when, when the disciples' response just seemingly was super unfair because they rebuked them. But it's interesting to know that this is totally in keeping with the Greco-Roman view of children, basically the cultural understanding of the value of children in the day. Children in, in this day and age, in Jesus' culture, they were viewed as non-adults, having very little value, uh, minus what they added to the family business, right? He can work for us, but there's nothing else of value that they possess, and so by law, they possessed little, if any, value as human beings until they became adults. Therefore, culturally speaking, so interesting, the disciples' response is understandable and it's actually even justifiable. Think about what their role is. Like they are disciples of Jesus, but, but all the thousands of people clamoring for attention around Jesus, they would like become protectors, right? 
And they would like, they would put up the, they would put up walls. You ever done that? Like you're like, listen, if so-and-so comes to the door, you can open it. But if so-and-so comes to the door, pretend like I'm not here, right? It's like you always have these moments, these people that you let in and those that you don't. And that's what's happened with the disciples. And for them, it's interesting to recognize they are devaluing children because they didn't have value in the culture, therefore it's justifiable and not seemingly wrong because it's interesting to note that there was somebody else in the midst. There are four people talked about here There's in this story. There's tax collectors, there's widows, there's children, and then the rich young ruler. And so when the disciples are looking out and they see these children being brought to Jesus and look over here and see a rich young ruler in their mind's eye, they're like, no value, an extreme value. We have to get rid of these parents and children so that Jesus can hang out with and show hospitality to the rich young ruler. And so the idea again in this is, man, the important person of perceived value is someone who's let in. The disciples had decided because of their culture's measuring stick who was and wasn't important. And there were the thems, which were not allowed to Jesus. And this story of verse 15 through 17 is specifically at-risk children. In verse 16 and 17, Jesus' response, I love it, is strong and it's very telling. Jesus, you can, you can flip on the screen, verse 16. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children, I would love to know actually how he said it. Was like, let the little children come to me, guys. Come on. Like, I have no idea how he said it. I wish I knew how he said it. I'd be making it really, really cool. But let little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such of these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will, not deceive, who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So this is a story for Jesus, yes, about little children. But, but more than that, it speaks to the heart of Jesus, and hear this, to tear down walls between people and people groups and cultures and and to honor them, right? To show hospitality. Hospitality is a word you don't necessarily use in everyday language now. You think of hospitality, you think of people making coffee on Sunday mornings or the lack thereof right now, right? Or people are going to meet me at the front door as they're coming into vintage and be nice to me and let me know I'm important, right? And that I have value. So I feel special walking into church on Sunday morning. You have a hospitality team who's taught how to be nice. That's sad, right? But anyways, the whole hospitality thing going on in the church world, and that's not at all what it means. Hospitality was a Jewish value that everyone practiced. And in this value, it's going to be on the screen, hospitality means to love strangers as friends. That's literally what it means. It's a Jewish value where they would say strangers who come into our home, who come into our lives, we will treat them as friends. We will treat them as family. You know what it's like when your kids' friends come to the house and say, hey, listen, what we have is yours. You just help yourself to anything in the house, right? And you're like, sweet, right? Whatever it is. Like, that's what you're talking about, this idea of hospitality, treating strangers as friends and family, bring them into their home, into your home, opening up. Listen, you're literally releasing your boundaries, your personal borders, and letting people come in and be a part of your life and blessing them and being with them, inviting them to live with you and engage with you and do life with you. This is one of my favorite values, honestly, in Jewish culture. I love it. 
But here's the thing about it. This value was only expressed to those who were part of the quote-unquote chosen group, right? The us and the them. The us, right? Not tax collectors, not prostitutes, not drunkards, right? Not homosexuals, right? Not children in their midst. Those were the thems, and there were then walls up, and you weren't showing hospitality to this group of inviting them in and recognizing they all had value in the kingdom. All they had to do was just confess Jesus as Lord, repent of sins, and follow him, whatever, right? Like everyone, all walls down, and you now have this place where everyone has value, not just the chosen group that was deemed valuable. Children were a part of this. They were not shown hospitality as an age group, but here in this story, Jesus tears down the borders. He tears down the walls and changes the hospitality narrative and says, no, tear down the walls and let the little children come into our homes and to live, right? It would be a picture, in my opinion, like other many things, but specifically, it's a picture of the foster care and adoptive peace that can be directly connected to let, let the walls come down and invite them into your home, right? The disciples in denying children access to Jesus, they've also refused them to welcome children. It's one thing to not accept, but you're saying we're not welcoming. They do not deem children worthy of hospitality. Like, hey, we like, we like to invite strangers and have them family, but not children. They're not valuable. But right stated. So in this, Jesus is making it clear here that anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God as one who receives a little child will never enter it. Stated another way, more simply, Jesus is saying, those who receive the kingdom, kingdom people are those who receive children as worthy of hospitality. If you're going to be a Christian, the only way you be kingdom people is if walls come down and you show hospitality to children and everyone else in our culture who we have deemed as the them. Let's just make it super in your face. You can't be kingdom Jesus people and separate the us and the them, those with value and those who do not, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on social, any Twitter, or if it's in the context of the life that you're living, right, in any people group that you're around, you're like, oh, I name a group, you're like, oh, right, therefore in God's eyes, that's why I said you can't have enemies. You love your enemies, right? You can tear down walls because there's no such thing as enemies in God's eyes. It's just people whom he loves who've been designed with a purpose and he wants them to have it revealed to them. And children are a picture of this specifically this morning. That's why we celebrate foster care and adoption. That's why we love it this morning because we say walls have come down at vintage. We have a people group that we love. We're supporting them and strangers we're inviting into our home. We're a kingdom people who give value to at-risk children, bring them into our home and loving them, treating them literally like ones that we love. Beautiful. The overarching takeaway for us this morning is the understanding of God's heart for the forgotten. God's heart for the forgotten. God's heart for the them. God's heart for those that we put over here. Jesus is literally rebuking the system 
the disciples in the religious culture of the day, right? The ones the disciples glorified and embraced. They had created a system that was opposed to the purposes of God, and they did it in the name of God. Isn't that fascinating? They literally were opposed to God in the name of God. Think about Saul slash Paul, killing Christians and persecuting Christians all in the name of God because he saw them as them. Jesus is rebuking that system. In this, Jesus came to dismantle it. So that his true disciples, and hear this, this is the action for us. They would humble themselves, recognizing we're not better than anyone else. That's the whole point Jesus is making here. It's like, let the little children come to me. The rich young ruler can wait. The children are just as important. They're all valuable to me, right? So humble ourselves, be invitational, and hospitable to all people, even those that the religious culture of the day would deem unworthy. Jesus says very intentionally in so many words, if you will not see people, if you will not be hospitable to people you deem as unworthy and unlovable, then you cannot enter my kingdom. It's super direct, super straightforward. Children are the ones talked about here in these verses. Therefore, as we draw closer to the end of foster care month, it is the heart of Jesus in these verses that I believe motivates us, motivates vintage, and motivates we as in the people of God at vintage. Recognize that in God's eyes, children of every shape and size are equal in the eyes of God. Bio children, foster children, grandchildren, adopted children, spiritual children. We recognize by embracing hospitality, letting walls down and valuing all people as equal and inviting strangers into our home through foster care and adoption and treating them like family. Then we, listen, then we are ones who are engaging, embracing the heart of God for his kingdom. We're kingdom people. And that excites me. That excites me. I want to be a kingdom people. Walls down, walking in humility, right? Living a life separated for the purpose of God. Why? So his movement can happen. If we live with walls up, God won't move. You know why? Because he can't. He only can move in places that have no borders and no walls, and he can flow freely with the people he wants to free, freely into and out of. Does that make sense? He wants freedom. He wants us in humility. I believe God celebrates us at Vintage. Not that we're perfect, but that we are engaging this value of hospitality and foster care, inviting foster children into our homes, inviting bio parents into our homes, loving them. And in time, if the God opens this door, then we engage and adopt. It's a beautiful piece. And I'm excited that God's heart of hospitality is being expressed in our, in our families and in our church. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate that. With that this morning, Toby's going to come, and we're going to spend some time of ministry and worship. I'm going to have you give three takeaways. You can go and put them on the screen for me. Number one, takeaway, celebrate our foster and adoptive parents, right? The Manning, listen, don't go and say, oh my gosh, we're so proud of you, because that just sounds weird and kind of patronizing. Just walk up and say, we're with you and we love you, right? We're with you and we love you and if we would love to help, right? So all our foster families, stand up real quick. The foster families who are here this morning, a lot of them are wearing the T-shirts, right? About to be adoptive parents. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We can celebrate them. 
to stay standing for a minute. So when we see groups like this, right, we love them, we celebrate them, right? But they're just equal like all of us. They're just simply being obedient to the call of God in their life. They're not super Christians, right? Is that true? Like Shannon's like, maybe, right? They're not super Christians. They're not better than anybody. They're just like listening and obeying the call of God. And we want to come alongside and love and support them, right? And so you, they would love to get that. And so you can say, hey, what can I do to help you this week? Blah, blah, blah. So let's say you guys can be seated. Thank you all so much. But let's celebrate our foster families. Let's celebrate the steps we're taking towards adoption, right? Like I think about those. If you're working in the foster care, I think see Janine back here. If you're walking the, working in the foster care arena. Can you stand up this morning? Just kind of do part of the system. I see Janine. I can't remember anybody else. I apologize. But Janine, celebrate Janine this morning. Yeah, she's working with wind shape. You can be seated now. The power of the hand, right? And so, yeah, we celebrate all of these pieces. The second thing is this. Second thing, you can put it back on the screen for me. Honestly recognize who you are comfortable showing hospitality towards, but more importantly, recognize who you are not comfortable sharing hospitality towards. Right? Like when you're driving the road, who are the people when you walk, drive by, you lock your doors? When you see somebody on television, you're like, oh, and you like have this party, you rise up, like, oh, at, at them, you create a them with them. You're on social media and you find yourself like, God, it's a them mentality. Like who are the ones in your mind that are just really, really hard to be hospitable towards? Yesterday at graduation for Anna Catherine, um, the, the principal, she, uh, she shared this part of a letter that Ann Voskamp had written to her daughter when her daughter was going full-time on the mission field. And and she read this part of the letter, and I'm going to pull this part of it out because I thought it was just really, really cool. She says, listen, and I'll say this to you, the only life living, um, the only life worth living is the scandalous one. Not on the screen, just listen. The only life worth living is the scandalous one. Scandalous love. That you love those that no one else is willing to love. You sacrifice for those that no one else is willing to sacrifice for. Scandalous love. Offensive mercy. Offensive mercy. I'm just showing mercy with such abandon that it's almost offensive to people around me. They're willing to show. You're showing mercy to this person? Are you kidding me? Foolish faith. Foolish faith. I like just believing God for things that don't make sense to the point that when you say it to your friends, it's like, oh, right? Believing God, having faith in God. And then she says, kiss babies. Right? Just kiss babies. Always make sure your parents are okay with that one first, right? But always have one friend. Always have one friend. Always have, I love this. This is it right here. Always have one friend that feels on the fringe. That you have to pray to love them. That makes the neighbors and your family around you scratch their heads of like, why are you friends with this person? Stubbornly pray for enemies till your enemies are illusions and everyone is a friend. Don't you love that? That's super hard. Talk about hospitality. You're like, oh my gosh, I just want them to die, <laughs> right? But it says, man, see, certainly pray for your enemies. So you see your enemies are illusions and everyone is a friend. Honest, listen, honestly recognize. This is number two. Put it up on the screen. Just leave it there. Honestly recognize who you are 
and maybe you're not willing to show hospitality towards, be scandalous. Have no enemies. Press through that place, right? And love people that other people, even in your church body, go, how do you love that person? You go, because I've embraced hospitality, which is number three. Receive grace from Jesus to start showing hospitality in a new and powerful way. Why do I say don't pray for grace? Just receive grace. It's already available to you. No one can say, oh, Steve, I can't do that. No, by God's grace, you can do all things. Correct, you can't. Stop trying so hard. Say, God, this person is unlovable to me in my own strength. I can't do it. In fact, God, I don't want to do it. But, Lord, by your grace, I can do all things. So help me, Jesus, to be hospitable and name the people group that you're going to then begin giving yourself to and loving with walls down and being hospitable towards. It doesn't mean a lot, Scripture says, it doesn't mean a lot to say that you're willing to die for someone that you love. But someone who's willing to die for someone who is their enemy, who is a them to them, That is what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus named tax collectors, he named widows, and he named children in his culture. Who in your culture is that person? Here's the deal. Just ask Jesus, say, God, search me and know me and know the place, God, that I'm just not willing to show hospitality. And then receive grace. And then, once you start loving that group, say, God, this is awesome. Who else? Foster children coming into our homes. God, it's hard. But God, thank you for the grace to do it well. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I love you.